The Feminist Coach Academy podcast is proudly supported by Perk Digital, helping professional and entrepreneurial women amplify their message, build their body of work, and leave a legacy through podcasts. For more information about how podcasts can help you build your brand, visit perkdigital.com.au. Welcome to the Feminist Coach Academy podcast, where inclusive feminism, business, and coaching meet. This podcast is proudly brought to you by the co-founders of the Feminist Coach Academy, Naomi Arnold and Cameron Aaron. We are feminist life and biz coaches, both passionate about helping coaches, therapists, helping professionals, practitioners, and entrepreneurs integrate a feminist lens and perspective into their businesses, life, and client practice. On this podcast, we plan to help you do so. Now let's get started. Hello, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to the new year. This is Cam here and we have a very exciting episode for you today where I interviewed one of our members, Maggie Patterson. I let Maggie introduce herself, so we'll get to that in a second. But this episode is such a good one. It's all about manipulative business practices. And we talked about some of that with Lena, but we talk about different things in this episode. We talk about privilege and, and we talk about, you know, when it comes to your business and we talk about your mindset and all of these messages that we've received in the business world that may not serve us and actually may not align with our feminist values and social justice values and might actually be more oppressive than liberating. So there's lots of good stuff in this episode. And if you don't already know Maggie, you're going to want to know Maggie and follow Maggie. She's awesome and has lots of good stuff to share, has a podcast and all of that. And you can find the links to her website and services in our episode notes. Anyway, let's get to the interview. All right. Well, I'm super excited to chat with you today because as you know, I love what you're all about and your business and I love everything you share. It's so refreshing. So I think I'll let you introduce yourself. Okay, I can do that. Okay, <laughs> if you <Yeah>. don't mind. <laughs> no, I don't mind at all. I'm, I mean, I, if I can't talk about myself, we have problems. <laughs> <laughs> right. Go ahead. So I'm Maggie Patterson. My pronouns are she, her, and I am a mentor to service-based business owners. I also own a content marketing agency called Stoop Studios. And um, 2020 is the year I lost my filter, which is um, thanks partially to Cam and the support of FCA and a lot of other things along the way. (laughs) That's awesome. So, you know, today we're going to be talking a lot about manipulative business and marketing practices because that's your forte and, you know, teaching people about that and how to have basically a BS free business. And 
Yeah, it's so um, important to have that. And so the things, some of the things that we've been taught in the business world about how to have a business and how to market in ways that actually don't serve us and certainly aren't feminist and just are manipulative, right? And so, yeah. yeah, so we'll be getting into that. But before we get into some of those specific messages and teachings, you've been in business a long time. I was reading 15 plus years. So I'm just curious more about that trajectory, like how you, you know, you have, you're so experienced and how you kind of got into having, being an entrepreneur and where you're at now. Yeah, I love answering this question because I did this before it was trendy. When I quit my job back in 2005, people were like, whoa, what are you doing? Like, this is, this is like, internet was still like, people were, you know, it was there, but like, it's not where it is today. So, you know, I was in a position where I worked in a a PR agency and I had climbed the ladder and I like, like a lot of people, I had reevaluated my priorities once I had my son. And I was like, wait a second, like, this isn't going to work for me. Like I commute, I travel, I have a partner who works shift work we live in the country. Like there was just all these things. I was like, this isn't going to work. So I was like, okay, I went on my amazing one-year Canadian maternity leave. And then I was like, I'm not coming back. And I was like, this is the time you've already, like, you've not been in that office for 10 months. Give it a shot. And from there I started freelancing. And I will say, I always like to disclose this is I was able to get traction really, really quickly. This is not the case for a lot of business owners. And I want to acknowledge like, Number one, I had a lot of skills and training on the business side of things coming out of an agency. I had a role where I was responsible as part of my targets and evaluations to do new business. I knew how to write contracts. I knew how to have those conversations with clients. So, you know, there is a a steep learning curve for a lot of people when they start a business around that. And I always like to acknowledge that. Number two, I'm Canadian. I have universal health (laughs) care. Number three, I have a partner who has an amazing job, but has a pension and benefits. So, you know, I had a lot of privileges in that. And I always like to call that out because the current entrepreneurial climate or start a business climate is very like, you can do it. And it's like, well, let's talk about all the practicalities of it. So, you know, with all that backing me up, I was able to get traction fairly quickly and I started freelancing and I freelanced very, very consistently for about eight, nine years. And I got a little bored discovered the online marketing world, fell into it with its very seductive promises and, you know, lots of dreams. And then I quickly realized I was like, oh, wait a second. This is all crap. Like, this is not based on actual marketing best practices. These are not legitimate business practices. And, you know, part of that journey of figuring that out for me was I was working behind the scenes in a lot of these bigger online businesses of brands that people know and like probably shouldn't trust them. But, you know, I was working behind the scenes and I was like, oh, this is, this is gross. And I was just like, basically my business partner and I at the time decided we were like, we're out. We're going to go back to working for, you know, corporations, real businesses that have real business practices. So for us, that was really a pivot out of there pretty quickly. But I'm glad I had that, that kind of firsthand experience of behind the scenes because I learned a lot. And since then, I've been a very keen observer of all the things I see. And there's a lot of conversations I've always had behind the scenes with clients. I've had behind the scenes with business friends. I've had them quietly in my, you know, in my own content. But now I'm just like, no, I'm done. 2020, you broke me. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. 
Yes, I love that. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute, how 2020 has broke you, but in a good way. But you brought up privilege. And I think that's a really, really important point to talk about when it comes to business. And I've thought a lot about this. And this is something we just don't talk about online. It's not talked about. You know, there's this messaging of like, if you just work hard, you'll get there. And like, you just need to invest in your business. And, you know, if you're not, then you're not serious about it. And, you know, all of these things. And like, if I can do it, you can do it too. And it's like, now hold on a second. You know, what we don't talk about are all the various privileges that some of these, some of us have, you know, and like name some of the ones that you have, like, you already had business skills, right? You so you came into it with that. You have universal health care here in Canada. You, those of us in the US yeah. do not have that, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. And, and other, you know, some other countries as well, although we're really falling behind on that one. But, you know, and you have a partner who had another, so you had another income to help. Yes. You know, and not everyone has that. And then, like I know for myself, I didn't have capital to invest in my business, but I have parents who could be a backup for me if I was struggling. And I have had times where I've struggled in my business and have asked my parents for money, you know, and to not to invest in my business, but just to eat (laughs) and, and for gas and, you know, things like that. And, and they have, they have helped me. There've been times I've been before the pandemic, I was a nomad for four years. And I mean, that in a way is a privilege because I didn't pay rent and I was able to, I didn't have to work about work or focus on working another job in order to invest in my business. I had, you know, because I wasn't paying rent, but I also wasn't making a ton of money either, but I had more space and time to invest in my business because of that. And, you know, I could go, I mean, my parents, I certainly wouldn't want to live with them full time, but certainly they, they are, you know, middle class and they have a home for me to stay in if I need it. And that's a privilege, right? And so there are a lot of different privileges that some of us have, and especially those that are saying, I'm now making six figures or millions of dollars and so can you. And it's like, okay, but did you have any capital to invest in that? Did you, what did you have that was supporting you? What resources did you have access to and things like that? So yeah, sorry, I'm just chit chatting, but I want to hear more about what you think about how we need to have more of that conversation. I feel like I'm glad you brought this up, Cam, because this is the missing piece of the conversation. So like, I'm going to give you a really simple example. You see this every single day with all these online businesses. There's this message, investor, it's all for nothing. Like you must invest in your business. And that message is underpinned with so much privilege because there is an assumption that people have access to the financial resources to do those things. So a lot of the messages you'll hear is borrow the money. Well, I'm sorry. Where are a lot of people borrowing money? As an adult, I have had to lend my parents money. They're not, they're not giving me money. Like, who am I borrowing this money from? And I mean, I still come from a place of immense privilege, but I'm like, no, like, get a loan. 
get, you know, mortgage your house. You're, there's so many assumptions in that, that we have access to financial capital or that we have the risk, more importantly, the risk tolerance to take that on. Um, you know, there's this lovely trope in the online business world that's very much like, you know, it's other people's money is stories are not your thing. And it's like, well, you do have a responsibility to your potential client to not put them in a risky position. And if you're using a really pushy sales tactic that is all backed up, like if you don't buy $25,000 worth of coaching, you're doomed to fail. You're activating all these things for them psychologically. And people, the more vulnerable they are, the more precarious their position, the more vulnerable they are. So then, you know, there's all these layers of it, but like, can we just call out the fact that not everyone has a partner, not everyone has those privileges, not everyone has the parents to go to. Like, I mean, maybe my parents didn't have financial resources, but I always could have moved back in with them. They would have always tolerated that. So like, we have to look at this as a much more holistic thing. And I think this is why this is, this invest message is so, so dangerous. Like it's just, it's layers upon layers of problems. It is. I remember there was years ago, there was a coaching, coach training, life coach training I was looking at. That's $18,000. And I am so glad I didn't end up going through it, mostly because they just don't teach anything about social justice. And, but at the time, I really wanted to learn more about those skills but I didn't have $18,000 no. and I didn't. And I was like, how do people have this money? And I remember like watching the free webinars about this training and I would ask and other people would ask too, like, how do you afford this? And they're like, well, people get scrappy. And I'm like, how? It's $18,000. You can't find $18,000 lying around underneath your couch. I mean, it's like, what you you had you'd have to go into some massive credit card debt and like the line on my credit isn't even close to that much so where i mean how the hell would anyone and i'm like the only people that can invest in this are i guess people who have a really big line of credit if they're going to put it on a credit card or they have the money or they have a partner that has the money or they're borrowing it from some you know like they have access to that resource right and it just i had so many issues with that but yeah and it's and it's why we were never charged that much for the at the feminist coach academy you know but it's just like ridiculous too because you would hear these messages of like well just get scrappy and if you really want this then just you know and it's like well but what <laughs> and i think this scrappy message that is a red flag anytime there is a question about like, how do I pay for this? If the answer is to get scrappy or they start coaching you through your options, that is red flag city, like get out of there. Because if you have to ask the question, how do people pay for this? That means you probably don't have the resources and that you're probably dealing with something that's um, a little shady in my opinion. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And from someone who, you know, anyone that kind of charges that much for everyone and doesn't offer any sort of scholarship option, which they don't, they don't. And is someone coming from a massive place of privilege, I think, and, and is not, does not have an understanding of privilege and does not care about being accessible to people of various socioeconomic experiences, situations, right? So, and I think that's something we need to talk more about in the coaching world, in the business world, 
and to talk about the privileges that we have going into business. All right. So super important one. Thank you for bringing that up. So yeah, let's get in more into some more. Um, well, actually tell me about how 2020 broke you. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I've been brewing. I mean, I went back, you know, there's blogs from 2014, 2015, where I'm literally saying the same thing I'm saying now. It's like I just lost that very last fuck I had. Am I allowed to swear? <laughs> I should have asked that from the get-go. <laughs> I actually said to one of my friends in May, so like I had started off the year and I had some plans for a small business boss. Pandemic rolled around and I was like, oh, no, this isn't right. I need to just take a moment. And I was really in the space of like, I need to like, go for it or I need to go back. And I was talking to one of my really good friends who specializes in messaging. And I said, I have a boy 1.75 fucks left. Like I'm still holding back. And she's like, can you please send me those? And like, it's over, like, just let it rip. So I promptly got rid of it. And I was just like, okay, like people are going to like this or not like this. I don't really care. I'm going to say my piece because I'm either going to wrap things up and have said it or I'm going to start conversations I really feel deeply need to happen. So, you know, you had all these things happen. You had the pandemic and you had a lot of people in the very much in the business world being completely insensitive to the levels of collective trauma, the stress on people, just like pretending it wasn't there. And the messages didn't change. And I was like, this is really weird. Everywhere else in the marketing world, things started to shift. But with online business, it did not. It was still like, this is your time. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is ripe for so much more. People are so much more vulnerable. It's so much more predatory. This is not going to end well. And then you layer in like racial reckoning in June, where it was literally like, oh, we've now seen all these people that are considered leaders in this industry completely refuse to acknowledge any sort of privilege, like or, refuse or to lead. And I was like, okay. like like they've finally woken up. <laughs> I know. I was like, where have you been all this time? And like, they're like, oh, look at me reading my one book. And as much as I believe like, yes, people need to start where they are and everything else. Like I can think of things I did three, four years ago that I'm like, oh, <laughs> Maggie here in 2020 has learned a lot. I'm sure in 2024, I'll be like, oh, 2020 Maggie. <laughs> but yeah. at the same time, like, are you truly leading if you are that just resistant to making any sort of change. If you're that resistance to acknowledging that a black woman in your community would require a different point of view than what you have. Like there's so many things. I'm just like, you're not in service of anyone but yourself and consumers need to be educated. So I really look at my role as like, I say what needs to be said. And because I do want to save a few people along the way, can I save everyone? No. I also feel like I'm a bit of a, like a, a deprogrammer now. <laughs> like, come to me and I'm going to talk to you about all the things that went wrong and we're going to get you back on track. Because I know a lot of people, they, they fall for it, right? And they have a lot of guilt. They have a lot of shame. They feel bad. They know they were in bed with the people that are just like reprehensible. And I'm like, you know what? They're really good at what they do. So let's talk about why this happened. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. So is this, Partly why you decided to join Feminist Coach Academy this year, too. Yeah, absolutely. Because <laughs> I was looking at, I mean, I've done a lot of different things, and I was like, okay, so here's the deal, Maggie. <laughs> You're a white. No, but I like I had the chat with myself. I was like, 
you're a white cis het Canadian. <laughs> like, there's a lot of privilege in those things right there. I was like, you need some uh, deeper analysis of what you're doing because I, I kind of came to the thing of like, you know, and I think this happens for a lot of white ladies, if you will. It starts with one specific aspect of it. And I was like, okay, that's great. I'm learning a ton about this, but it's not intersectional. Yeah. It's not intersectional at all. Like I can't be saying, oh, smash the patriarchy, but not looking at all these other things. And so when I started looking around, I was like, oh, this is interesting because it is a very comprehensive intersectional approach to it. And I was like, well, this is going to give me a good starting point for what I need to shift in my business, where I need to be approaching clients differently, where I need to be marketing and shifting that a little bit. And, you know, that's given me the, this tool set, if you will, to start doing some of that. Great. That's awesome. Yeah. And you've been doing the work. Yeah. I actually do the work, right? You do. But what a concept with a, with a program like this. I actually <laughs> log in and do the classes. <laughs> you, do. you watch the classes, you complete the workbooks and you actually take action. You are an action taker. And I really appreciate that about you. You're not just stuck in the theory part going, maybe some point I should do something. <laughs> You're like, no. Well, I think, but Kim, what's really interesting for me is I think because I am an action taker, one of the things I think I've been forced to learn is like, slow down a little bit. Let's apply some analysis. And I think this is a case for a lot of us is we get really excited about what we're learning. We don't do any analysis and we're all the way over into action. Yeah, like yeah, we just yeah. go from from I've now learned this, I need to take action on it. And I think slowing that down and really assessing like, how do I do this responsibly? How do I do this in a way that's productive and thoughtful and intentional um, in that application? Instead of just being like, this is my project for the month, I'm going to rush through it to check off some boxes. Exactly. And I think deepening that analysis has been really, really helpful for me. Good. Yes. And that's an excellent point because some people are like that, like the action takers, People who are really good at taking action or have a tendency to take action a lot, you know, that sometimes can be their challenge is like they may move too quickly into action and can forget that analysis piece. And then there's people who are on the opposite, right, who are just, they're too afraid to take action because they're afraid of taking the wrong actions or getting, you know, making mistakes. And then there's all other things as well. So, but yeah, that's an excellent point. We cannot forget that analysis piece. It's super important because that analysis piece also informs your action, right? It makes your actions better. So, and it, Absolutely. and it makes you more confident because you know why you're doing what you're doing. Yes. I love, okay, that you said the confidence piece, because I think even for me, someone who is action oriented and very like, I'm like, like, let's just get this shit done. <laughs> I also need to realize that by moving too fast, there's potential harm to what I'm doing. So, and I, and that's not my goal isn't to cause harm because I want to check it off my list. So how do I slow down and do this in a way that's actually in service of the goals I have? That is much more important. And I think there's like, there's things I have kind of this running list. And I'm like, I'm like, no, we're not quite there yet. And I think it's a good, it's a good exercise in discernment and doing this in a way that is really impactful versus just rushing it out the door. Yeah, absolutely. And in the training, you know, you're getting a lot of teaching, it's moving fairly fast. We're asking you to reflect on a lot of questions per class. And 
you know, but it, we don't expect you to implement all the things right away, you know, <laughs> in this, like, but yeah, it's a lifelong practice, right? And so it's like, yeah, I like that you're slowing down and really trying to like, okay, I'm not going to be able to talk about all the things right now. And I'm just going to kind of, yeah, do what I can and, and in a more thoughtful way, not rushing it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's great. So one of the things that I saw on your social media, I think this week that I want to talk with you about is around mindset. And one of the things you shared was, you know, we need to stop blaming our mindset on everything. And I think that's really connected to our training as well. And, you know, teaching about systemic oppression and socialization and want to hear more about your thoughts about that. So one of the things I have done over the last few months is I've really spent a lot of time kind of unpacking, like, what are kind of the problematic pillars, if you will, of online business? And one of them really came down to, you know, my common experiences, the common experiences of many people I've mentored or that I'm friends with or that I've interviewed in the course of this project. And this mindset manipulation piece, I'm like, this is a common thing. You know, we have a lot of other things like sales and insider secrets, but the mindset manipulation is like the common denominator we see day in, day out. And we're constantly being manipulated. And I mean, I don't use this word lightly, but we are being gaslit by leaders in this industry, what I call the celebrity entrepreneurs, by basically reducing everything to a mindset. Don't want to invest in a program? You've got a money mindset issue. You challenge my leadership? You've got a mindset issue. You're not being high vibe enough. And I mean, a lot of this for me, I've heard these things time and time again. Like, I remember having a conversation with a coach years ago and just being like, I, my goal isn't a million dollar business. She's like, you're playing small. You have a mindset issue. It's like, no, I've done the math. I'm more profitable, not as a million dollar business. Like, I, and she was like, what? You're doing I'm like, yeah, I used this calculator and I figured it out. I'm not just going to take, and I think this is all of it. None of us should be taking when someone says it's a mindset issue at face value. You need to be able to really analyze and discern for ourselves. Like, is this a mindset issue I'm having? Is it something else? Or is it immense amount of privilege? Like, who's delivering this information to you? Um, someone who has a, number of identities are extremely privileged. It's very easy for them to be reductive and say, well, it's a mindset issue. And I was like, well, is it really a mindset issue? Probably not. Yeah, absolutely. If you're ready to have a truly inclusive feminist and social justice led business and client practice, then we invite you to join the feminist coach theory certification training that is now officially open for enrollment for our next intake. Go to feministcoachacademycourses.com to learn all the details and to enroll today. The link is also in our episode notes. If you're a helping professional or entrepreneur and this podcast resonates with you, then we would love to have you in our community. So yeah, let's talk about this. So I know recently you also mentioned these figures that we are taught like six figures or a million dollars and that we're taught in the business world to have these as our goals. And so I don't think it's wrong to want to make six figures or a million dollars or millions of dollars, but it is, it is, interesting like why are these are the goals that were set for us and are taught to us and yeah just 
can you talk more about that? I'm still sort of like hashing this out myself as like, what are my money goals, you know? And yeah, and so, and how is what we've been taught manipulative, but also how do we know what we genuinely want? Yeah, this is a great question because when it comes to these, so it used to be when I started out in the online business world, you know, 2013, 2014, six figures was the thing, right? Like that was the thing. And I remember at the time being like, is this a thing? Because A, nobody I know in real world, whether this is good or bad, I don't know, but no one runs around running, talking about six figures. I have many people in my life who make six figures. I myself had made six figures in my business for many years before that. And I was like, is this a thing? This is weird. So I came out with this perspective of like curiosity and be like, but what's happened over time now is like everyone says six figures, like why $100,000? Why not $75,000? Why not $120,000? Like, I, like, please, like, can we just stop being so like, this is the thing. And then what happened was, well, six figures wasn't enough. So we have to have seven figures now. And it's like, these measures are such weird, arbitrary external measures of success. And, you know, I have many clients who are very happy making $50,000. I have many clients who want to make $500,000. But the thing is, they've chosen those goals. So, you know, how do you figure out what's enough for you? You know, what do you need to live comfortably? How does this align with your goals? You know, how much money do you want to be able to give away? How do you want to be contributing to your community? Like, what are, how do all these things come together for how much do I need to make in my business? Because I think where this gets really twisted is a six-figure business is not a six-figure take-home income. A million-dollar right. business, is, there's so many people who have multi-million-dollar businesses and they pay themselves $55,000 a year, which that's messed up too, right? So you've got to look at like, what is the actual goal for me? And then extrapolate the business goals out of it. So I have a client who said to me last week, she says, my long-term goal is I want to make $200,000. She had a very specific thing. She's like, so how much do I need to make in my business? And we figured that out based on her specific goals, her specific scenario. And I honestly don't care how much people want to make. I just want it to be their goal. Yeah. <laughs> Not the goal that someone said on Instagram. Well, exactly. You're right. It's arbitrary. It's just like, this, like, where do these numbers come from, you know? And, and who said that this was the measure of success in our business? And I still have that ingrained in me, you know? And I think the six-figure one really pisses me off the most because the reality is, is that most people in North America don't have a salary where they make that. Like, if someone is making $100,000 a year, they're in like the top X percent That's right. of salaries. So we've tethered, we've now tethered the goals for our business to something that is like completely arbitrary and not actually the way things work for most people. So That's I don't know. Right. It's well, very messed up. Right. And I, I learned that in the United States, actually most people, like over 70% of people are living paycheck to paycheck. And, and that's sort of similar, I think, in what you're saying. And as online business entrepreneurs, most of us are not actually making fixed figures. And that's okay. That is nothing to be ashamed yes. about. Yeah, Kim, I want that normalized. I want people making the money they are making. Nor like, there's so many people feeling so bad about this, wasting so much energy, which could be used to move their business ahead. They feel guilt. They feel ashamed. It's the same thing. Like a few weeks ago, I posted this thing on, on Instagram was basically like, can we normalize non-fancy kitchens? Yeah. Because like everything is like this extra fancy, 
Instagram life. And it's like, this is not how real people are living. And I don't want anyone to feel like they can't take a picture in their kitchen because they have cabinets from 1980. You got cabinets from 1980. Awesome. You've got a kitchen. Like, (laughs) right. Oh, I like that. Yes. That is so important because we are often sold like, and it is these celebrity type entrepreneurs, that archetype, right. Of like, you know, the all white fancy kitchens and all white everything, all white people, all, all like everything is like pristine and white and elegant and these. Yeah. And so it's, we're sold this particular kind of image of what we should want and what makes us seem wealthy and successful. Exactly. And for some people, like I can think of one of my clients who does a t- like, Basically, she wants to liberate everybody's time and she's absolute rock star at this. But she just wants to be able to hike three days a week. And I'm like, that's amazing. That is real success. Like, I don't really care about your kitchen. Like, please note, I like a nice kitchen. I like nice things. I like fancy cheese. I like a really nice bottle of wine. But that's the things that are important to me. And the most thing I love the most in the world is being able to travel and get a cabana on the beach so I don't burn. Yeah, that might not be super luxurious to like some of these people. But to me, I'm like, that's money well spent. (laughs) Absolutely. We all have. Yeah, we all have, you know, what are the things that we want those luxurious things that we want? Yes, I am loving this conversation so much. So going back to the six figures and million dollar goal, And I read something that you said about how we need to stop valuing online business owners based on how much they make. Yeah, because here's the thing. We immediately, because they feed us this steady diet of the stories, right? It's the how much money I made story. Number one, that story is grossly exaggerated, embellished, or lied about. I know because I've seen actual numbers and went, what? Or, you know, you catch people in these, like, I am really... I have this really sharp memory. So I remember what people say. So I was like, but three weeks ago, you said this, that doesn't jive. (laughs) So, you know, people are not being truthful or transparent, or they're like, my favorite is I have a million dollar business. You've made a million dollars in 10 years. That's not a million dollar business. No, no, no. People don't actually know business term, like actual terminology. Like they don't understand book revenue versus like revenue received, all these things. So it's led to this very bizarre, twisted conversation around money and like revenue claims. So this revenue claim marketing is designed to say, hey, you can trust me because I've made this much money. You should never trust someone because they've made a certain amount of money. You should trust them because they're truthful because they're transparent, because they are uh, respectful, because they own results, because they're masterful at what they do. Looking at those things is much more important. You could have someone who's making $35,000 a year is the best at what they do, and they've done that by design. So you cannot judge how much someone makes as a marker of success. Mm, Yes, absolutely. I love that. That's a really, really great point. And just as the last part of that, there's a lot of people who have very fancy businesses that are broke as fuck. Like, cause they spend all their money on the image. Like this is my image. Guess what? I have money in the bank as a result. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And you don't have to change your image to try and, you know, make people think that you're somehow successful or wealthy or whatever. 
Yeah. And, you know, I think as if someone's a coach or a mentor or whatever type of business you run, you're doing your clients a disservice when you're fronting one way and you show up another way. It's like there is a dissonance right there that breaches trust. Like, um, and I think a great example of this is like the very, very stylized photo shoots. Like I understand why people do them because they feel like their brand is a performance. But if you're really about you're really super down to earth. Why are you on in a, wearing a glittery jacket in front of the Eiffel Tower? Like, I'm like, but I hired the glittery jacket person. <laughs> Why are you rolling in here with a messy bun? There's a disconnect. So like, how can you be consistent in your actions and your image at all times? I mean, I don't pretend any of it because that's exhausting and I don't have that kind of energy. <laughs> and also it's the right thing to do, right? Yeah. But I show up the same way consistently everywhere. And you know what? It's really easy because I'm just myself. Yes. I love that. I love that about you. I know entrepreneurs who are life coaches who get new photo shoots all the time. And some of them at this point might seem like, yeah, that is genuinely who they are. Like they love to dress up and be in front of the camera and stuff. But I think for most of us, we can't afford that. And it's not who we are. And I know it isn't for me and certainly not during COVID, but yeah. So like, it's okay to just post selfies and to just be yourself. And so, and then that's, I mean, that's more than okay. That's really what we should be doing. So you've talked a lot about business masterminds and some problems and red flags about business masterminds. And so I was wondering if you could just share a few red flags or issues that you find about business masterminds? Because I think a lot of entrepreneurs like to invest in masterminds because they think that that is what's going to help them make money in their business. But what should people look out for when they are looking to invest in a business mastermind? Yeah, I could talk about masterminds all day, Kim. <laughs> because I run, like I've been in masterminds. Right? Yeah. I've been running masterminds for five years. I've been in lots of informal ones. So like I, and I've done a lot of research and I did a whole survey on this back in the summer. And for me, I look at masterminds as like, what's happened is masterminds have become this catch-all for like kind of this higher ticket offering. So people have started creating masterminds with no real thought about the program design, curating who's going to be in the group, all those types of things. They just want to be able to charge you $10,000 a year or $20,000 or $30,000 with kind of this very loose promise. So there's a few things I think when you, if you're considering a mastermind to really look at, um, number one is what is the price tag? Like, can you realistically afford this? Because I think what happens is there's this messaging that you need to invest in a high-end mastermind to be in the room with the right people, which is all oh, such a load of bullshit. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it makes me nuts. But when you look at that, it's like, okay, I don't have $25,000 can I, am I going to have $25,000? Because if you have to make an investment based on faith that you are going to generate that revenue, you're putting yourself in a bad position. So like, if you cannot comfortably afford the mastermind, probably just like put it on, on the back burner for now. I think that's always the first thing. Looking at the program design, like what does this include? Is it, does it seem really thoughtful and intentional and like it's aligned with your needs or is it just a bunch of group calls? A bunch of group calls that don't really have any shape or form. You know, the facilitator, do you like the person that's facilitating the mastermind? Are they aligned with what you want to be doing? Like, if you're in a group with really bad facilitation and the wrong people, it's not a good mastermind group. It's a waste of time. 
because a mastermind group does take time out of your schedule. It takes commitment. It takes building connections with that people in the group. And when it's done really well, it's really impactful, but unfortunately it's done really poorly. And then the last thing, and this is the one that so irritating to me, (laughs) is the lack of specificity. So there's these masterminds. It's just like a catch-all mastermind. It's for coaches. It's for consultants. It's for service providers. It's for creatives. It's for course creators. If you have a very specific business model, you should be looking for a mastermind that serves this business model. So I run masterminds specifically for service business owners. And it niches down further from there into agency owners and you know, business owners who are established at a certain point, you know, they're about to hire a team. That specificity means you're going to be with people who are having the types of conversations you need to be having. You're going to be in, you know, really investing your time in the right things for your business. Just kind of like, oh, I'm going to pay for some friends and maybe learn something. Yeah. You should never have to pay for friends on the internet. Never. There's lots of people you can be friends with for free. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Those are great tips. And also, what about investing in a mastermind where the owner has a social justice awareness? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm glad you raised that. And I think this is a situation I've seen with people with identities that are very different than mine. Like, And it's very easily, if you are not the dominant culture, you're not white cis het, like you are probably going to feel marginalized in these groups. So how do you find a group that is, the person is very aware, they're intersectional in their awareness, they've done more than read one book, yeah, and that they're going to be very thoughtful. And, you know, and this was in one of the trainings recently, is like, they're not just going to hold space, they're going to hold brave space for you. Like, forget a safe space, like this idea of safe space, like that blew my mind a little bit, because I was like, you know, are they, if push comes to shove, are they going to have your back? Yeah. And that's me. like, that's what I, as an industry, that's what I want to see. So that when someone says, I don't understand and shows up with their white fragility, the facilitator is stepping in and fostering that conversation, not relying on the emotional labor of someone from a marginalized community. Yes. Yes. I'm glad you brought that up. Absolutely. And I think this is where a lot of masterminds are failing a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And it isn't, easy to find because most people do not have a feminist social justice awareness that they've gone deep with. And so, you know, I mean, that's why we have the FCA and, but I don't know about you, but I mean, the last year in particular, I've been unfollowing lots of people who mostly white people, white helping professionals and entrepreneurs who just, never really implemented a social justice analysis and never really talked about it. And it's like, you know what? Goodbye. Like, why am I still following you? And, and why are we still investing in people who refuse to show any interest in this or any empathy or any care to care enough to want to invest in their own awareness, whether it's through time, money, energy, and think that I think that systemic oppression is separate from our business and our coaching practice, and which it is not, right? So I don't know about you, but I've, I'm just like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, I am 100% done. And I mean, it, there's so many layers to it, right? I am done with people who are 
it's literally the performance. Like yeah. the performance is, I was like, that's cute. You hired a DEI consultant. So now you've dealt with racism. You've dealt with this. Like you've hired someone whose expertise a is a little bit. The yeah. Black. <laughs> yeah. Like I was like, that's great. I appreciate your effort, but like you need to do exponentially more. And I mean, there isn't an expectation that anyone's going to get this perfect. I mean, Right. I am the first bit. Like I have tons of stuff to do within my own business and with my own, you know, ongoing commitment to this. But at the same time, like, why should I give money to someone that is behaving this way or denying that connection? And I think what's fascinating for me, and this is, you know, where I really have seen that connection is online business as a community, we replicate these systems of oppression. Yeah. The way we market replicates the patriarchy. It replicates white supremacy. So it is really hard to, to like, extricate yourself from those things if you're not willing to do the social justice work. So it's all tied up together. So if we're not willing to say, okay, you know what? I'm no longer going to use this tactic, which there's no consent around this. How are you ever going to be, have an informed social justice perspective, let alone be trauma informed? Like there's just so much harm being done. And for me, it always comes back to that thing. Like what is kind of that container for respect? I can't trust you if I don't feel like there's going to be respect. And part of that is bringing that to the table. Like, do you have a social justice bent? And if not, and also show me it's real. Just, yeah, I yeah. want to know it's yeah, real. It's got to be real, yeah. Because I was chatting with a friend last week, and I'm sure you'll appreciate this because you're having these conversations all the time. And she says, you know, it's great. I really see a lot of progress on issues around white supremacy. I'm Jewish. I don't see anything happening around anti-Semitism. I don't see anything happening around ableism. It's like, <laughs> there's so many layers to it, right? Like, yeah, yes, we've made progress on this, but we need to make progress on all the other things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You've already mentioned, you know, some of the ways that you've been implementing what you've been learning in the FCA and but yeah, I was wondering if you could share a little bit more about how our training has impacted your business. So I think for me, it's really come down to, you know, the piece I was talking about a little bit earlier about deepening my analysis. And I, when it comes to social justice work, like we talked about, there's so much, like, if you're truly going to do this work, how do you get a more comprehensive handle on all the things and I think for me, like the fact that you bring in guest teachers, I know that I'm getting the best of the best. It's not just one person's perspective. It's really those subject matter experts. And I think that's what's made it so rich. But for me, I've been able to deepen my analysis. Like, and this was a question I brought up in what, one of my homework recently. I was like, okay, so I'm a fat person. I see so much fat phobia. Yeah. So much fat phobia in online business. Like I see people making so many strides around race or around patriarchy or other things but like they hate fat people like they really yeah. truly do yeah. like you want me to unfollow you talk about your diet I'm gonna unfollow you really fast <laughs> yeah but like how do all those things go together so I think for me is part of it is like what pieces of this do I need to be informed about what pieces do I need to act on and what pieces do I want to own because I can't own everything so like what is going to be my unique role in this? And I think as a mentor, like, how am I impacting those people? How am I impacting people in my personal life? A lot of this work is not just about what you're going to do in your business. It's about what you're going to do in your life. Like, there's been a lot of things that have come up and I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to talk to my therapist about that. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Because it's the identity and socialization pieces of it, right? You start to unpack that and like shit comes up. <laughs> well, yeah, you're being confronted with internalized oppression, right? Yeah. yeah. The oppression that we've internalized about our bodies, about ourselves, that fo- fat phobia we've internalized, right? That has an impact on us personally. So yeah, you're right. It isn't just about your business, it's about your own growth with yourself and your own personal liberation from the isms in your everyday. Yeah. And I think for me, like I'm a reader, right? So it's really easy for me to read books, just read books, check some more books off the list. But like, how do I actually think about this in a meaningful way? How do I put this into action? I think I will be honest, Cam, at first, the the workbooks at the end of everyone, I was like, oh, come on. But that now is such a valuable tool for working through that framework to be like, okay, this is what I'm, you know, this is where I'm at and kind of how I'm going to take action, how I'm going to be accountable, what am I analyzing, you know, what's my awareness, like, working through that has been really, really positive, because I, you know, at the end, I'm going to print all that up and be like, okay, what's our action plan, Maggie? (laughs) Yes, I know, it's work, right? It's work. Yeah, we're not letting y'all get, you know, just scoot on by just watching the classes, and that's it, because then how do we know, you know, what you're taking away from it, how you're really And yeah, it's, and I think anyone's commitment to being free from the isms and which is a lifelong practice and, and being truly inclusive in our work and our business, it, it does take like thoughtful time and, you know, commitment to really sit down with this of like, okay, you know, learn that analysis and then applying it. There was, okay, can I just, there was one thing in your marketing materials, you said, like, there was in there from the get-go, it was basically like, this is rigorous. Yeah. This was not a joke that was rigorous. And I knew it was rigorous at the point I saw your advisory board. So I was like, oh, these individuals, <laughs> they're going to just let these two roll up here and create this training. Like, I'm like, oh, this, okay, this is legit. <laughs> yeah, no, it is legit. And I think, like, I think at first, when we first started creating it, you know, like what all it was going to, the certification was going to include and the training, I thought, oh shit, this is a lot. Like, who's going to do this? <laughs> and I don't want to scare <laughs> listeners away who are, who haven't been in the program yet. But I think that, you know, plenty of people in the current intake are doing the work yeah. and are filling out the workbook. So it's doable. I think that if you, you know, it's, I don't think it's super hard, but it's that you just need to take the time to, you know, think about these things. But yeah, if it's not, we thought about it, because at first, when we were creating this, I thought, I don't know, is this too hard? Like, is it too much? And then we thought, you know, if it's not robust, then you're not gonna get your time and money's worth and you're and you're like, you can, you're not gonna feel confident to say that you know feminist coach theory and that you really know how to be inclusive and you you know you have awareness of these isms you're not going to feel confident if it's not robust so yeah exactly but i think what's really refreshing what's really refreshing is that you and nay are do a great job of saying and i'm not just saying this like i have not a lying bone in my body you do do a really good job of saying like, this is not my area of expertise. I'm going to stay in my own lane. And I think it's a really 
refreshing way within the coaching world to see that modeled because wouldn't it be a better place if we all like really just leaned into what we're awesome at and what we are truly experts at and we would be so much better for our clients. And I think seeing you do that with a cohort of coaches and mentors and service providers is very refreshing. Oh, good. I'm happy to hear that. Thank you. Yeah. And so, I mean, as you know, like my area of expertise is around gender conditioning and that's what I've studied for a long time and been passionate about, but it doesn't mean that I don't talk about white supremacy or fat phobia or ableism. Mm -hmm. or, and so it doesn't mean, it also doesn't mean that you all who's all whose area of expertise is not gender that you never talk about it or that you don't include it. Right. Yeah. Like, as you know, you have already like, okay, I'm going to ask people's pronouns. I'm going to talk to my clients about gender conditioning. I'm going to name it, you know, in the sessions, I'm going to name it in the marketing. Like, so you don't have to be an expert on gender to talk about it. No, no, but to teach it, you, you better know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that's what we see so much of is like someone like has this much understanding and now they're the teacher and I'm like, mm, I feel very confident every teacher there has, is actually an expert in their field, which I can't say I have seen a lot of recently. <laughs> right. <laughs> I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome. Where can people find you? And if you have anything that you're promoting right now, feel free. Okay. So you're, you're obviously, you're watching this, you're listening to this, you're a podcast listener. So if you run a service-based business as coach, consultant, creative, whatever it might be, uh, you can find me at the BS Free Service Business Podcast. I'm on Instagram at Small Business Boss and my website is smallbusinessboss.co. Awesome. Thank you so much, Maggie. This was awesome. I can't wait to share it. Thanks, Cam. Doors to our March intake are open. We are accepting enrollments for our March intake. If this podcast resonates with you and you're a helping professional or an entrepreneur and you are ready to implement an inclusive feminist awareness and praxis into your business and your client practice and your everyday life, then hop on board. This is the training for you. We would love to have you in our community. To learn all the details, including the teachers and the classes that are in the training, plus all the live calls and everything that's included, go to feministcoachacademycourses.com. There you will learn everything. There's an FAQ section at the bottom as well to answer further questions that you have. And there you can enroll. So if this feels right for you right now, then we would love to have you. You can click the link in our episode notes to go to our sales page and to enroll now. Hope to see you in our community. Thank you for listening. We appreciate you. And if you're interested in our certification training and getting certified in feminist coach theory and learning how to integrate an inclusive feminist awareness and analysis of practice into your work with your clients and your business, please go to feministcoachacademycourses.com to learn all about our certification training and to enroll now for our next intake. We are accepting enrollments for our next intake. 
and we would love to have you join us. Also go to our website, feministcoachacademy.com to grab more of our free resources and to listen to other podcast episodes. Make sure you are subscribed to our podcast in iTunes or Spotify and that you're following us on social media at Feminist Coach Academy on Instagram and Facebook. And if you love our podcast, we would love it if you would rate and write us a review in iTunes. That would be amazing. Thank you so much. Have a joyful rest of your day.